0: Chapter Twelve of Saint Charles Borromeo: A Sketch of the Reforming Cardinal, by Louis M. Stackpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twelve: The Commencement of the Struggle. So far, Charles had succeeded beyond his hopes in the reforms he had taken in hand. He had reason to congratulate himself and was undoubtedly pleased and deeply grateful to Almighty God, who had worked such rapid and salutary changes through his instrumentality. In 1569, however, clouds overcast the serene sky. Threatenings of the terrific storm that was soon to burst over his devoted head were distinctly audible. The struggle between the ecclesiastical and civil power commenced. It was to last during the lifetime of our saint, and he was to exhaust himself in the supreme efforts he made defending the rights, privileges, and even the authority of the church against the state. At this period, Milan was under the dominion of Spain and was governed for Philip the Second by a grandee of that country, Gabriel de la Gueva, Duke of de Albuquerque. He was a just and worthy man. Indeed, Charles said of him, I could not have believed it possible that the governor was so good, religious, and so devoted to the service of God. But this good religious man was weak and easily led. It was not from him that Charles encountered opposition, but when the storm of persecution burst, the governor lacked not perhaps the moral courage but certainly the necessary tact and energy to stem it it was the senate of Milan who jealous of the authority and popularity of the reforming archbishop finding that his decrees and those of the provincial council were likely to affect them in a disagreeable and undesired way compelling them whether they wished it or not to purify their own lives and the lives of their fellow citizens it was the senate who endeavoured to throw off the yoke they found neither light nor pleasant the burden that was too heavy for them the supreme authority rested in their hands yet they were resolved that the governor should bear his share of the crusade against the holy and generous archbishop they started by accusing him of hiding deep and dangerous designs under a mask of humility and charity they said that he was ambitious and avaricious seeking only his own interests endeavouring to secure to himself gold and lands probably aiming at supreme power he was an intriguer a dangerous person and they endeavoured to persuade the duke d'albuquerque That he was weakly allowing the royal authority to be usurped by widely ecclesiastics headed by an adroit and clever schemer they only waited a favorable opportunity to attack the archbishop one soon came in the city there were several laymen whose evil lives were a scandal charles frequently admonished them but they turned a deaf ear to his admonitions and continued recklessly to give free vent to their wicked passions woe to the world because of scandals For it must needs be that scandals come but nevertheless woe to that man by whom the scandal cometh vainly the saintly archbishop tried to convince these stubborn and evil men of their wickedness imploring them to change their lives and no longer be a hindrance and a scandal to the other members of his flock and if thy hand or foot scandalize thee cut it off and cast it from thee it is better for thee to go into life maimed or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire and if thy eye scandalize thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. It is better for thee having one eye to enter into life, than having two eyes to be cast into hell-fire. Acting on the gospel precepts, Charles cast from him the hand and the eye that were a source of scandal to the little ones. In other words, he threw the obdurate offenders into prison. It was the signal for an outburst. The Senate shrieked angry denunciations, but dared not openly rebel for the cardinal, according to the old custom, maintained a secular body of men with an officer of justice at their head. The troop carried arms, and had the right to imprison offenders against morals or religion. The Senate endeavored to prevent these men from fulfilling their duties, threatening them with sundry and severe penalties if they obeyed their lawful chief. They even told these simple soldiers that they disobeyed the laws of the governor by carrying arms. In the words of the Jews of old they cried out, you are not Caesar's friend if you persist in doing this thing, and obeying an arrogant churchman instead of your lawful sovereign. The captain of the guard and his men were loyal to their cardinal archbishop, with the result that the captain was arrested by the senate, cruelly ill-treated, and finally driven from the city, with the warning that if he ever returned, he would be hung as high as a man. We can fancy the grief that this outrageous conduct caused the tender heart of Charles. Weeping profusely, he threw himself on his knees before the tabernacle begging our lord to give him the necessary grace to pass through the stormy time and imploring the holy ghost to guide his steps in the difficult and thorny path that lay before him invigorated by prayer and fasting for severe fasting was as we shall see later on his cure for most ailments whether of soul or body he immediately took decided measures to defend the rights and liberties of holy church he excommunicated the chief of police and all who were implicated in the arrest and banishment of his captain they the president of the senate and two senators were summoned to appear in rome without delay there was a short interval during which the opposing parties each in their different ways sought for fresh vigour and strength to carry on the struggle the holy archbishop had recourse to prayer fasting and almsgiving his enemies took advantage of the cessation of hostilities to influence the governor they succeeded at length in persuading him to give what they told him would be an undeniable proof of his loyalty to the king He had been very displeased by the imprisonment and banishment of the archbishop captain by the senate and had in his turn sent to jail a few of their adherents who had torn down the sentence of excommunication from the doors of the archiepiscopal palace and of the churches but now yielding to their representations he decreed that all persons who in any way encroached on the royal jurisdiction were guilty of treason the decree was couched in such vague terms that no one knew what it meant what was treason and what was not it caused endless confusion everything was at sixes and at sevens lawyers refused to plead before the ecclesiastical tribunals fearing lest by doing so they might offend against the king's prerogative while affairs were in this unsatisfactory condition the storm once more burst forth and with redoubled violence the chapter of the collegiate church of santa maria della scala was under the patronage of the king of spain this church had been founded by regina della scala the wife of Bernardo Visconti in thirteen eighty one, and was dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. In order to distinguish it from the numerous churches in the city already dedicated to the Mother of God, it added the maiden name of its foundress, della Scala. She established a chapter, and the members had always been appointed by the Duke of Milan. In fifteen thirty, Francesco Sforza the second, the last Duke, had applied to Clement the seventh to allow the canons to be exempted from the jurisdiction of the see of milan the pope granted their request but only on the understanding that the archbishop should also give his consent this consent had never been granted consequently the privilege did not hold good the chapter needed reform as much as perhaps more than any of the others and with the intention of judging for himself charles announced that he was about to visit it the canons refused to receive him pleading exemption from his jurisdiction The archbishop after consulting the sovereign pontiff formally declared their claim was invalid and on august 30th 1569 he signified his resolve to pay them a formal visit no sooner did the canons receive this message than they closed all the doors and retired to the cemetery but not before they had placed armed men in front of the building to prevent the entrance of the archbishop charles left the duomo clothed in his episcopal vestments two priests on horseback rode in front of him carrying the episcopal cross and the cardinal's insignia he followed mounted on a mule as he rode forth his friend count caspar de magno implored him to turn back saying take care lest these disputes lose you the whole city in the defense of the honor of god and of his church i will never lose this city the cardinal replied with quiet dignity as soon as he arrived at santa maria de la scala The soldiers employed by the cannons rushed towards him, and endeavored to prevent his dismounting, seizing the reins of his mule and of the horses of his companions. Notwithstanding their menaces and violence, the cardinal quietly got off his mule, and, looking with undaunted courage at the fifty swords that were raised to bar his way, he passed slowly and majestically towards the door of the church, carrying the crucifix in his hands, his eyes fixed with loving confidence on the image of our crucified Savior castello the vicar-general succeeded in fastening to the door the centre of the canons incurred by the revolt but it was immediately snatched down and torn into a thousand pieces the canons themselves now appeared upon the scene and standing in front of the entrance declared they would never allow the archbishop to go in a scene of indescribable confusion followed missed the ringing of bells the clashing of arms the yells of an infuriated mob charles stood calm and majestic Unmoved by the uproar around him, he held aloft the image of the crucified and spoke words of mingled reproach, entreaty, and command to the angry cannons and the rough soldiers. But his voice was drowned by shouts of "Spain, Spain!" mingled with oaths and coarse invective from these madmen who not only banged the door in his faith but brutally attacked him and his followers, blinded by rage, they actually fired upon and struck in several places the sacred emblem of our salvation charles pressed his lips with loving reverence to the mutilated crucifix and then raising his eyes to heaven prayed silently then the insolent pietro barbesta a priest of pavia who was acting the part of devil's advocate for the refractory canons rang a bell and proclaimed in stentorian tones that the cardinal archbishop charles borromeo had incurred ecclesiastical censure and was suspended from his functions for having endeavoured to violate the privilege of the church of santa maria della scala this observed sentence he afterwards placarded in various parts of the city charles listened unmoved and it was only when he thoroughly realized the absolute uselessness of both prayers and commands that he solemnly pronounced the words of excommunication and retired to the duomo there in humble prayer before the tabernacle he besought our lord to pardon the misguided canons and the rough soldiers and implored the holy ghost to direct him how best to act for the honor and glory of god and of his church fortified and enlightened by the divine grace and his visit to the blessed sacrament he renewed the sentence of excommunication placed the church of santa maria della scala under an interdict and specified by name the canon a native of Calabria, who had headed the revolt Pius v was horrified when he heard of this dreadful riot He wrote a most consoling and affectionate letter to his beloved son charles and he emphatically declared that all barbesta had said and done was null and void and ordered him and the calabrian immediately to repair to rome the calabrian never arrived there for he met with a sudden and awful death and the impious wretch who fired upon the cross also came to a terrible end two days after the appalling act he had so wantonly committed their tragic fate inspired the canons Solitary salutary fear of the judgment of God, and they lived in mortal dread lest a like doom should fall on them. To avert the evil fate, the provost came to the archbishop, and on his knees humbly begged forgiveness. The others followed his example, and Charles, who though stern, was magnanimous, generously pardoned them, treating them with great kindness and charity. It was with difficulty that he persuaded St. Pius V to allow him to deal with them himself, for the sovereign pontiff was justly incensed at the injury done to the rights of the church and at the insults offered to the cardinal he so honoured and loved, and he feared the saintly prelate would be too lenient with the offenders. At last, however, Charles prevailed. He got permission from Rome to work his will upon the once refractory but now penitent canons. He required them to make a public confession. He then gave them absolution and accompanied them back to their cloister, where he formally reinstated them after having offered up a prayer of thanksgiving. End of chapter 12